Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is another Win Wednesday, but Niners fans, just breathe. Things are going to be okay. It's time to come off the ledge and come to another show. And with me this week, to read us his first draft of Mitch Wisnowski's Hall of Fame induction speech, it's David Newman. You know, I'd like to thank the York family, Mr. John Lynch, for making the absolutely idiotic decision to draft me in the fourth round. Because if it hadn't been for that, who knows if I'd even be here. I didn't say... Oh, wait. I would be because it doesn't matter where I'm drafted. I didn't say assume his persona. I said write the... You're the speechwriter at this point. You're you're testing out material. Look, we have two more weeks together uh, before you go into what I can only assume everyone on Twitter thinks is just this deep, dark cave of football watching this. Look, man, it's well lit in the office, all right? I got a couple windows in there. I got a pair of windows. Uh, Indeed. This is true. Can verify. But next week, you do turn into a pumpkin, and you go back into that pro football focus hole, which means it... uh, So next week will be our last show during the season together. You'll be back uh, next during the offseason. We'll try to, I mean, make some last regular appearance. We'll we'll say. We'll have some guest appearances. Uh, But that means that uh, the Better Rivals podcast, of course, will still go on. It will just have, of course, different guests, different co-hosts. Uh, but still, all the same amounts of beer. Uh, so let's get to the takeaways from the preseason game because, boy, there's a lot of ledges to be walked back from. Yeah, did uh, something big happen? Yeah, something big happened. Uh, so Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's, first big takeaway from the game is that Jimmy Garoppolo's rust is real. Uh, of course, like let, let's talk first a little bit about it because I think Kyle Shanahan said it best when he, <laughs> when he said it would be irresponsible to like make too much over the 10 plays. And I can't say I disagree with him. I yeah don't think I would change that statement even by a single word. Uh, it's it's exactly uh, the takeaway that you should have, right? It it is we're talking about six actual pass attempts. He was only on the field for what ten snaps or something like that. Um, it, it's just not enough of a sample to be concerned with in a game that didn't matter. Yeah, I think, you know, but if you know us and you listen to us, you know that we don't just like to leave it there. We like to give you a bit of context to understand how fluky this performance was, even if you are going to chalk it up to rust. Because he had two batted passes, of course, over the course of his six attempts, and that in and of itself is pretty fluky. Last year, Kirk Cousins had the most batted balls in the NFL, um, and he had, well, about 2.8% of his attempted passes batted down, uh, which is not a lot. 17 total. So we're talking basically one a game. Yeah. Uh, whereas two out of six, quite a bit higher rate. Yeah. But yeah, only 10 players had double digit batted passes all of last year. So that's just that, that helps put just the batted passes into context because that in and of itself is already a problem. But then you get into the turnover worthy plays because, of course, that may have been the bigger news. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo throwing an interception and then, of course, throwing the almost interception uh, on uh, the, that route to Jordan Matthews. Right, and so I think there, um, you know, those plays are obviously, and we'll kind of talk about those plays specifically and kind of what happened and, and all that here in a minute, but I, I, I think uh, that's obviously the more concerning part. The batted passes stuff is is whatever. It happens every once in a while, like you said, extremely fluky that it happened uh, twice in a matter of six throws, and it's not something that is likely to occur that way again. Like, you just kind of chalk it up to whatever and move on. Um the the turnover worthy plays it goes back to okay what what is the the better sample size to look at here do we want to focus in on just kind of what's happened in 
uh, these six throws in this one preseason game, or even extend that to the you know the the report before that everybody was worried about about throwing five straight interceptions in a practice, um, or do we want to look at you know the real pass attempts in actual meaningful football games that he's had? in, you know, his basically, what, eight games as a starter with the 49ers. And I think that's kind of where you go back to. That's the prior for Jimmy right now, right? We're we're still trying to figure out who exactly he's going to be from a long-term perspective and, and what we can expect from him, you know, uh, over the course of a full season. Sure, like all that's still uh, a bit in doubt. But what we know about him right now is going to be largely based on what we've seen in those eight games. And in those eight games, he was very, very good at taking care of the football. On 313 passes, he had just seven turnover-worthy plays. That 2.2% turnover-worthy play percentage is very, very good. And overall, Jimmy Garoppolo does not have very many negative throws. Garoppolo earned a negative grade on just 12.6% of his plays. To put that in context, Josh Rosen was negatively graded on 18% of his throws. Patrick Mahomes, 8.6. Perhaps a more favorable comp for someone like Garoppolo is Andrew Luck, where his turnover-worthy play percentage was 11%. So when you contextualize his actual in-game performance and snaps, you realize that this preseason game was kind of fluky, and you have to ask yourself, hmm, I wonder what kind of inputs went into that flukiness. And I think it's pretty easily, like Occam's Razor tells you, he hasn't had pressure come in his face in about a year. He's coming off an ACL injury. And oh, by the way, Bradley Chubb did some good things <laughs> and, and was in his face right away. And so, yeah, the rust is real. He's going to have to knock some yeah. of that rust off. And it's a good thing that's happening in the, uh, the preseason. Right. This is exactly when you want that stuff to happen. And and so I think the, the other good point and kind of the, the final place, I think we'll leave it as far as, you know, what he's done in the past and, and why that that should, you know, obviously matter more than what we saw in this one game. When, when you look at the negative stuff, so um, whether it's the turnover-worthy plays, which are, again, the plays where he's kind of putting the ball in harm's way, um, you know, whether that's actual interceptions or just like we saw with the, the second bad throw in this game, a, you know, a dropped interception, a play, a play that should have been a turnover. Um, that and even the, the kind of more um, simple misses, right? Just the kind of inaccurate throws, the stuff that gets smaller downgrades. Um, that's, that's not, you know, that's not a great throw, but it's not putting the ball in harm's way. Those tend to be among the more stable things for quarterbacks. Usually they make bad plays at roughly the same rates, you know, season in season out. Like, yeah, sure. You'll have, um, you know, maybe some outlier seasons here and there, but generally that is among the more stable things for a quarterback. And so, um, while yes, we're with Jimmy in general, and every conversation with Jimmy kind of revolves around a, a relatively small sample of the larger sample that we have of him. He was really good, and so it's it's likely that that is going to be something that continues with his game going forward. Well, it's the stability of style, right? This is why yeah. Jameis Winston has really good eye-poppingly positive plays, but also is kind of a bonehead and throws some picks. Right? The 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 stability of a quarterback's or the style of a quarterback's play is generally stable year to year but let's take a look at those two plays because i think there is a little bit to unpack there and i think when you get to the first play and that was the almost interception over out to the left side when he was throwing to that that was the actual interception oh that was that's right that was the actual interception uh when he's throwing to uh this is i've already swapped in my head because the second (laughs) one was way worse uh but the first one you basically you've got the running back running a rail route uh and it's the right read like he's throwing the ball to the right person it's just 
it was a bad throw because Bradley Chubb is in his face immediately because Joe Staley, you know, basically had a breakdown in protection. He may have been expecting a stunt uh, or something was happening. But whenever your left tackle is staring at your quarterback, like his back is upfield <laughs> and he's just looking at the quarterback, it's never a good sign. Is that not good? No, it's not great. I think that would merit a negative grade. I, I'm no PFF expert, David, but I reckon it, it the very least merits a not great Bob. Which, you know, is is really all we're trying to avoid out Don't there. worry. We'll get to the Pete Campbell Award. Just you wait. We'll get to the Pete Campbell Award. Right. So I think, um, yeah, the, the whole kind of, you know, six snaps for him, six throws, uh, just kind of I mean, reeked of a, a player that hadn't been on the field a whole lot um, and just things were moving too quickly for him, right? And, and it, everything just kind of like was sped up and, and he just wasn't quite ready for that game speed, I think. And so when you have a play like this that is even faster than normal, like, right, even if you're, um, you know, comfortable and you've been in the game and, like, that's not, that adjustment's not really an issue from what you've been dealing with, say, in practice, um, it, it's still a play where you're getting pressured much quicker than normal because of that breakdown and protection. So you get a free rusher inside and that's throwing you off immediately. And and like you said, he mentally gets to the right place and, and got to the right receiver. Um, he had definitely an advantage there with, with Brita um, getting by the linebacker. And there was actually, actually potential for a very big play there. Huge. He just misses the throw, right? Just, he just I mean, kind of gets a little panicky and, and like throws it off target. And, you know, again, it's not it's sucks here it was no doubt a bad throw like there's nothing to really excuse from that standpoint it's just not the type of thing that we've seen from him before yeah i mean the safety's in in cover three and it bites on on the slant and that that route is wide the hell open i mean it's great it's just it's it's a bad throw and you've got unfortunately a corner sitting there and it results in in an interception but now we get to the second one and this one is the one that's actually kind of it's bad it's that's not great um, this one is a concept that Shanahan calls flag water, which you got, you get the flag part, but the water, it's kind of like, I don't understand sometimes. I don't, know, man. I don't I get don't, it. I don't make the rules. No, we sure don't. Shanahan does. Uh, but this concept flag water, basically to the right hand side, you've got Pettis and Matthews and Pettis motions into a stack, uh, kind of in a, in a short set formation. And he runs the flag to the sideline. That's the first part of the concept same flag. And then Matthews runs what Shanahan calls a drag China. So it starts like a drag route to the sideline, and then the wide receiver kind of pivots back to the inside. And that's the route that's the first read on the concept, and that's the route that Jimmy Garoppolo tries to hit. Now, the Broncos, similarly, are in cover three, and that defensive back is just squatting on that route. He's in off coverage. He's got his eyes downfield and as soon or downhill, and as soon as Jimmy Garoppolo kind of pats the ball to throw it, even before then, the cornerback is already breaking on the ball. This one was was much worse though. So to be fair, like if if in your mind you're going to think of one that should have been interception, it is definitely this one. Like the other one, yeah, off target throw gets a little unlucky in a sense that there just happens to be a defender covering another receiver that happens to be in the right place, right, and is is in a position to grab it. Not you know, there's a, there's a lot of times, a lot of universes where that throw gets made and it just falls incomplete, right? Yeah, and, and so. Um, with this one, yeah, I think from a process standpoint is a much worse, is much worse. So you're looking at, um, man coverage over there and the corner happens to be playing off, which I think is part of, uh, what kind of throws him off there, at least makes him feel like he can get that in. So he's kind of, if you just kind of follow where his eyes go on this play, 
you know, man coverage a lot of times comes down to matchups. So the, the route combination that you mentioned over there with Pettis and Matthews, right? In zone, that's going to work sort of like a high-low on your curl flat defender. Um, and, and you're going to be able to kind of see how he plays it. If he sinks to the deeper outbreaking route, um, you know, then you throw it underneath. If he stays tight up to that underneath route, then you likely, you know, have, you know, maybe this void on the, on the sideline there that you can throw it to. So, uh, in zone coverage, he's going to play out more that way. Whereas in man, a lot of times you're just kind of looking, all right, where's my, my matchup that I like. Right. Um, and so you can see that he goes to the slot first to that kind of like deep outbreaking route. And and that's kind of where his eyes are focused initially, but he sees the cornerback that's covering that route has good leverage. Cornerbacks on outside leverage, which is again, where my route is trying to break. Okay. So I don't like that one. I come off it back down to the route that you've got underneath from Matthews. And I think the, the off coverage that you're getting from the corner, he just doesn't confirm it right he just doesn't see that okay yes he was starting off and I think that I've got this space underneath to make this throw but I don't see the corner that's already breaking hard on this route um and so that's when he just you know he makes a throw without confirming that coverage and it's right there for the defender you know it really should have been a pick six is like where that that ends up being um and it's just yeah it it just is a bad play there's no way around it the thing about all of this that bothers me is that I'm gonna have to go play basketball and talk to the Mullen Stan oh, no. that I play with every Friday. And I already got a text message. I did. During the preseason game, he sent the text. And I, and I was waiting for Fucking it. I knew. basketball guy. I knew I was going to get it. And, you know, I already had the Leaf Outduels Manning screen grab cued. Nice. I, you know, I there knew it. I, yeah. knew, I knew that. But I don't want to have to put up with it. And I don't. It's just. It's, just, it's so nerve-wracking. You know, I just want to go play ball on a Friday morning. And instead, I got to defend Jimmy Garoppolo to someone who thinks that Nick Mullins is the dude. <laughs> that is that is like that uh, might literally be my hell. You just got to you just got to not engage that one. Cool story, I, bro. I can't. Yeah. There's every fiber in my being is like, let me talk to you about positively graded plays. Let me talk to you about interception percentage. And he's like, bro, he hasn't done it yet. And I was like. Let me oh know how that God. works out for you after the season. I know. There you go. I know. We'll Done. see how it goes. Conversation over. But yeah, so overall, I think, you know, knocking the rust off, it's okay. Uh, I think this game against Kansas City, he's, he's going to exercise some demons, hopefully, get a bit more in rhythm. And you know what? It may not even be super-duper pretty in this game. Yeah. Um, but he's coming back from a significant injury. He's got to get back into game shape. Uh, I, it would not surprise me if the first couple of games, even the first quarter of the season, is really the 49ers trying to figure themselves out with Jimmy Garoppolo, and they may not hit their stride until they get into that middle part of the season and late into the season. And, you know, who knows what that means for their records or their playoff push, but there will be some adjustment to getting back to Jimmy Garoppolo, I think. Right. I mean, hopefully it it comes a little sooner, right? Like, hopefully uh, we've seen him come and play well without being in game action for a while before, right? You think of, obviously, like the five-game stretch at the end of the, the 2017 season where... He hadn't played at all, right? That that entire year comes in um, and and is ready to go. And so I think, yeah, maybe it's it's it has to do with the knee and just kind of like the mental adjustment there and really trusting that the knee is okay. Uh, and that is kind of gets compounded by the fact that he was um, under pressure on a good number of dropbacks and didn't really have a lot of clean pockets to work from. Even when things were were better on that front, it was still kind of crowded right things were kind of closing in around him not a lot of space to operate there so you're you're hoping that it's that and that you know a more extended run in this next preseason game 
is enough to just kind of like get readjusted and, and all of that. But this is the time to do it, right? Yeah, I think there's there's two parts of the like final takeaways with Jimmy. Like one, those six plays were very bad. There's like no reason to to try to like sugarcoat that or hide it. Like it was an ugly six play stretch. The problem is pretty much every quarterback over the course of a full season will have an ugly six play stretch, but you've got the rest of the game to come back from that or, you know, the rest of the season, if it ends up being a bad game and, and it doesn't end up looking so terrible when that's all that you have to focus on right now. So it's, it's bad, but it doesn't outweigh what we know about him heading into this, which is again, largely based on those eight regular season games. All right, so let's get to the next big takeaway, and that's going to be with the secondary because the secondary is going to play a big part in how far this team goes in the regular season. So, of course, right off the top, you if you've listened to us for a long time, you know exactly what we feel about Dante Johnson. And yet, he had a pretty good game. Yet, like if we were if if we had to remake the drinking game based on this preseason game alone, the Johnson rule would mean something very different. <laughs> uh for like the kind of like the second game in a row too for as far as this preseason goes yeah. uh like not not great necessarily but not Dante Johnson no um he had which, 49 total snaps targeted 10 times only allowed two completions he had five forced incompletions in this game alone that's a good number for the record that's that's a, a high amount and of for the uninitiated david what is a forced incompletion as pro football focus charts it so it's essentially a play where the defender's actions are the primary like primarily responsible for why that throw was incomplete so it could be um you know something like a pass breakup where obviously he's getting his hand on the ball um and and kind of knocking it away and preventing the completion that way um but it could also be like a situation which we saw from him um on the kind of go ball like uh fade throw into the end zone there on on the right sideline where he essentially cuts that route off completely so he's not you know making a play on the ball necessarily but he has prevented uh in a legal way the receiver from getting to the catch point right so he's cut that route off so he is forcing that incompletion so anything like that you know where where the defender again is is primarily responsible for it um that's going to be what we're looking at with forced incompletions now he had an up and down game because his he had five forced incompletions yes but five of his targeted passes were either dropped or off target this includes his interception, which of course goes down in the stat sheet as being a super positive play. But if it wasn't for someone being bad at having hands uh, and having a big, thick helmet, that would not be an interception. Uh, and instead, that goes down as an INT in, in the Dante Johnson books. But still, o- over the last two games, though, he's played a ton of snaps. Yeah. And, and he's actually acquitted himself pretty well. Yeah, it's been targeted a lot. And it's kind of been that sort of um, volatile mix of, of good plays. So he had, I think, three forcing completions in the first preseason game, um, but then also still has, like, some kind of bad, uglier snaps in there as, as well mixed in. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a little bit weird, but I think overall a much better Dante Johnson experience than, you know, when he was last on this team. So the other is that DJ Reed, I think, is basically like a fully realized Jimmy Ward. DJ Reed is what Jimmy Ward should have grown up to be had his bones not have been made of just brittle, yeah. brittle yeah. material. And, and so DJ Reed, I mean, he, had a, a, he didn't have a, a, his greatest game uh, against the Broncos. He 
probably should have stuck a little closer to some of his receivers, but he almost gets a pick when he plays a return route really, really well. He's actually played that route consistently well now uh, over the course of a couple of games. He displays skills as a blitzer. He doesn't look incredibly out of place as a safety, although he still looks much better as a corner. And overall, I think if you're looking for like a backup DB, jack of all trades who provides some versatility, I think that's DJ Reed. Uh, and I yeah. think that he's certainly kind of playing himself into a really difficult decision for the 49ers. And I think ultimately he should probably make the team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would be. That would be for me a legit surprise cut. Like if he were not on the final 53, like that would be um, pretty shocking to me because I yeah, I feel like he he has actual positional versatility. Right. We've talked a lot exactly. about uh, that versatility getting tossed around with guys who. Yes, maybe they can technically line up in multiple spots, but they're not necessarily like good at any of those things. And I think DJ Reed um, is actually useful at doing multiple things. I think he's looked pretty good in the slot, uh, especially. I mean, most of his college stuff was was all on the outside. Really. outside he was almost yeah. exclusively on the outside um, in college and, and did really well there. And so I think he's, um, you know, it's been a little bit more up and down in the snaps that we've seen him here. Like his one really bad play in this game was kind of biting on the double move on that like long, ridiculous throw from Flacco across the field. And so that was like kind of the one, you know, that, that sticks out as being especially bad on the outside. But, um, overall, yeah, he's been, he's looked pretty good from the slot. Um, you mentioned the play that he had on kind of that, uh, return route, that kind of pivot back inside there where he jumps it and almost gets a pick, had a very similar play to that down by the goal line in the first preseason game. Um, where again, kind of getting in there, breaking up a pass on the exact same route essentially. Um, and so, yeah, I think we've just seen him do pretty well with almost anything that he's been asked to do. And I think absolutely is, is the guy that we were kind of hoping Jimmy Ward will become and just never really did. Other thing to note in this game is that the 49ers exhibited a very interesting check when the Broncos went to empty, which is something that happened a couple of times in this game. But we'll call this uh, this segment Joe Woods Watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, things yeah, exactly. that we think Joe Woods may have brought to the team. Uh, but this is an interesting check when the Niners go to, to uh, or when the Niners face an offense that go to empty. So whenever you see the, the opposing team the rest of this preseason maybe go to empty and motion their back out, you'll see that team check to quarters and you'll see that the safety that's rotated down to, to the strength of the formation, he gets a signal. It's usually like one of the linebackers putting his hands out or something like that. And then that safety drops back. And they play quarters or, you know, a four deep look. That is something that is not something the team did super often in previous years. Um, they usually like to stick in there, you know, in their single high. That's what they did. Uh, and so, you know, again, the, the I think what David said a couple weeks ago was really important is that this is the time where they're going to stick to their vanilla looks. And if their vanilla look or their base look is check to quarters when they go empty, that's an interesting little wrinkle. Yeah, I think that's, uh, again, just kind of something like right now we're just trying to figure out, okay, what changes are they going to have? Um, and, and so it's all just kind of like stuff to monitor, right? I, I don't think we we by any means have like any confirmation that this is going to be 100% what they do come the regular season and that they're not going to have a wider variety of checks and all that stuff. I mean, they overall went a lot more kind of vanilla coverage wise, I mean, really heavy into just kind of basic cover three and, and cover one stuff. And, um, you know, here and there would mix in when they wanted to try out a little pressure and get a fire zone in there where they would send five guys. Um, but overall just very basic in this game from a coverage standpoint, but yeah, this was the one kind of, uh, interesting thing. I thought that, that, uh, noticed at least from this game, that was something I, I didn't necessarily see them do, 
a ton of, but was overall very consistent in this game. Pretty much every time uh, they went empty, the Broncos that did, they went into quarters with like the exception of, I think, two plays where they uh, wanted to go with a more pressure look and played kind of cover one behind it. But um, yeah, something again, like you said, not not a, a team, a defense that played a lot of too high stuff before. So interesting that they would kind of have this as, as a go-to thing. All right, and then last in the takeaways is going to be about the defensive line depth because the Niners did seem to have some defensive line depth, but it did not come from where you would expect. Against the Denver Broncos, the team racked up 29 pressures and seven sacks. Nine different players had multiple pressures. That's good. It's very, very good. Uh, and now, of course, Kevin Givens made some moves, made some headlines, baldy to baldy breakdown of Kevin Givens. He's an undrafted free agent out of Penn State. He actually made some good plays. He, he looked very athletic on the interior. Actually, the Niners Nation editor, Kyle Posey, who's also doing the Scarlet Jimmy's podcast, uh, which, you know, I talked to him a little yeah, bit about Who let name. him choose that name? I, you know, I did yeah. not let him choose that name. I was not in charge of that name. But uh, the Scarlet Jimmy's, uh, he actually had a very long conversation uh, this week about Jimmy Garoppolo that you should check out on the feed. I think he posted it yesterday. But he uh, had a, an article on Niners Nation from Scott Geelan, who had a lot of tweets about uh, Given's performance. And I thought it was a really, really good read. So definitely check that out if you're more interested. But I still think that there were other players, despite what Baldy says, yep. uh, that played better than Kevin Givens in this game. And they've been doing it for multiple games. One of them, of course, is Demontre Moore. Right. So I think Demontre Moore had another really solid game. Um, he was one of those nine players that had multiple pressures on there and just, um, again, continues to look pretty good. And, and I think is very much playing himself. You know, I don't know if it'll be ultimately enough considering another player that we'll talk about kind of at the end of this. Um, but I, I think he very much deserves to be in the conversation for being kind of one of those final defensive linemen on the roster and, and being a part of the rotation that we hope that they're going to have this year. I think, um, you know, one of the other guys that they had was also a newcomer um, in Jay Bromley. He um, honestly, to me, was probably the most impressive um, backup guy that that just really kind of showed a lot especially late like in the fourth quarter um it just felt like he was getting pressure beating his guy uh on on nearly every snap you know getting some sort of win um out of that ended up being uh our highest graded pass rush guy on on the team for this game and so i think yeah had had a couple of guys um late that really took advantage of their opportunity and and that's what you want to see, right? If you're looking for guys in the preseason that, okay, do they deserve more reps earlier in the game against some better competition? You want to see them first dominating the lower level of competition that they're going up against. And I think that's what we saw in this game from Bromley, especially, and, and you know, really have seen in each of the first two preseason games from more. Now, another player that we started to notice that got a, he- a little bit of a heavy stat line here was Contavia Street. He's someone who is kind of embodying the dichotomy of stats versus skill uh, because he had three total pressures, two of which were sacks. But if you look at how he got those sacks, they were really cleanup sacks. This was another game where I don't think Contavia Street was as strong as his stat line would say. And I think a lot of people are going to say, you know, Contavia Street, he had two sacks or one and a half sacks or however you're going to chart him. That's great. Um, but you have to look at how he came across those sacks. If the quarterback is running into him, and the quarterback is doing all the work. Not really something you should credit Contavia Street for. If he's just kind of in a position, quarterback's running around, and it's like, oh, this has been about a four-second play. Cool, let me chase him down. You know, it's not nothing, but at the same time, it's not going to be the, the Chubb-S type pressure that you want to see from an edge rusher. So 
another game where he's just did not play very well despite his stat line. Right. You want to see, and this is kind of why just looking at pass rushers from, from purely a sack perspective can a lot of times be pretty misleading, right? You look at um, the the Vic Beasley season where he had, what, like 15-something sacks, uh, you know, some, some high number um, up in the teens there that looked really impressive when you just look at those numbers. But when you looked at how we actually got a lot of those sacks, right, it becomes less impressive. And we've kind of seen that play out since that season. He hasn't been... Um, as good of a pass rusher because he hasn't had some of the same opportunities come his way because you look at in in the two stat the two sacks that you had with street in this game one um was him yeah after the play had well broken down you know kind of getting out chasing the the quarterback and just kind of getting him down barely behind the line of scrimmage after he started to scramble right so which is is good like is good in kind of a, a different way right you like to see players um, with those kind of like hustle plays and staying involved in it and, and being able to pursue from kind of behind the play and still get involved in things so it's not that there's like no positives to take away there but when you're evaluating them as a pass rusher what you want to see is them beating the guy across from them and and being the one that kind of has an effect on the quarterback, right? That's what they can control. They can control beating the guy that is assigned to block them and and trying to get after the quarterback. And what happens after that point, there's a lot of kind of randomness and luck involved, right? And then you look at the, the second sack, and it was somebody else initially creating pressure. So it was, you know, some other interior dude who's not going to make the team um, driving kind of the guard back into the quarterback's lap. And that forces the quarterback to have to bail. And when he bails from that pocket and starts to move backwards and out of it, that's what gives street the lane to actually go and close on the quarterback. Right. If, if, if that interior pressure never happens, the tackles got him well in control and is driving him past the quarterback. And he's just not going to be involved in that play without somebody else doing the work first. And so, yeah, those plays, he gets two sacks and that's great, but he didn't really have to do a whole lot from an actual pass rushing perspective to get those sacks. And that's why you don't want to go too overboard with just focusing on those. I think you said the right thing when you said, what can Contavia street control? What can the player control? Because that's ultimately what's repeatable. Yep. That's ultimately where they can continue to win. And if you chalk up a lot of your sacks to luck or some other exigent factor, then you're not necessarily going to be able to sustain that or repeat that. So that's a good thing to take away is what can that player control? defeating the player in front of them. That's a good way to evaluate them. Someone who did successfully defeat the player in front of them on a couple of occasions, one Mr. Solomon Thomas, had a couple of really nice back-to-back plays from the interior, didn't have a lot of solid pass-rushing plays from the edge. He did have a couple of plays from the edge where he was successful, uh, one specifically where he knifes between two blockers uh, and gets the, the tackle for loss. But when you think about his performance along the interior, he had two back-to-back plays where he just abused the guard Poor guard. Same guard. He's not going to make the team. No. And, no. and you know what? I mean, his, his parents were probably watching. They were yeah. like, that's, that's, that's my son. And then Solomon Thomas was like, nope. <laughs> not anymore. Nope. Uh, but yeah, but he had, he had a pretty solid game. And I'm glad that yeah. he's continuing to succeed from the interior. He looks quick. And when he right. muscled that guard from, and he just threw him down. Throw it down like a ragdoll. It's it's the stuff from Solomon Thomas that we were expecting to see out of college, right? And, and you really saw him shine as an interior rusher there. 
Um, and that was the part that you felt like most confident that could translate, right? And it, it, it's just nice to see him, one, getting more opportunities to do that, and two, having the team be committed to him doing that, right? I mean, Shanahan talked about it after the game and that, yeah, he did have to play um, a bit on the edge in this game just because of the injuries and, and players who, who weren't on the field at that position. They just needed to have him out there so that somebody was playing it. Um, but the the plan is very much committed to him playing more inside and you just see how much more comfortable he is there. And so, yeah, having, um, you know, the back-to-back snaps there where you can really see him, you know, getting after it and, and doing them some of those positive things. Um, you know, it just makes you, it's obviously, uh, still preseason, still backup offensive linemen. So you don't want to overreact necessarily, but, uh, it's just nice to see him feeling a bit more comfortable and making some stuff happen in a position that's more natural for him. All right, let's get to our Arrow Up players of the game this week. First up in Arrow Up is going to be Chikwaski Tart. Saw his first extended action of the preseason. David, what did you see from Chikwaski Tart that puts him here in the Arrow Up category? I, it was just nice to see him make a couple actual plays, right? Like, I mean, this is the one thing that's been nice about Chikwaski Tart when he's been healthy and on the field is one of the things they've really lacked in the secondary are playmakers, you know, guys that can go and get involved in the play and and make plays on the ball and and really, you know, get the interceptions or force the pass breakups. Um, They haven't had a whole lot of that. And he's been one of the few guys who brings something like that to the table on this team. Um, And the the problem has obviously been him staying on the field and, and being consistent with it, being healthy. And so I think it was just more, getting to see, you know, it becomes easy when a a player doesn't play very much to start to wonder like, okay, is he one, is he even going to be on the field to worry about this? And then two, is he going to be that same player that we've seen flashes of, right? I think uh, a player in the arrow down category has kind of gone the other direction with this. And so it was just nice to see Tart back out there um, playing some some extended snaps here um, and and actually making some things happen while he was out there. You know, I was going to tackle the next player here in Arrow Up, but I think given your predisposition towards loving this position, I, I would love to loft this one back to you. I really would, because the next person <laughs> uh, in this, in this yeah, is going to be that. Raheem Mostert. I want you, David, to sing Raheem Mostert's praises from the rooftops because he's a running back. I know that's your second favorite position behind punters. And, and so I would love for you to tell us, loyal listeners, why it is that Raheem Mostert belongs in this category. Look, man, I, it's, it's not that I have necessarily something against running backs uh, in, in particular. It's, it's more against like paying them. I think Mostert is a perfect example of, of kind of why you don't need to go out of your way to acquire running back talent, right? This was a guy that don't make this about you, David. Don't make this into about their you. lap. Make this about Raheem Mostert. I am, and he has has done very well with the opportunities he's been given. And I think you know this was just another game where he, um, because of of what's going on at that position for the 49ers, got a lot of snaps and, and you know kind of a lot of chances to touch the ball in this game. And um, just continue to look good. Um, you know, he had like the one screenplay uh, there early on in the game where just like everything is falling apart around him. Like the receiver that's trying to block next to him gets messed up. Um, like it, it should have been a play that's tackled for like no gain and just should have been dead in the water. And if it and, were not for a jersey yeah. grab, that's probably a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just like make something out of nothing. And that's what you like to see from, uh, you know, players in general, but running backs especially, right? Like what are they doing outside of of what is available to them and and so i think he's just somebody who's um continued to look good and and um you know excel in the system and do well with the opportunities he's been given and it's just kind of 
uh, you see all they've invested in this position and you just kind of wonder, did they even need to do that? Could they have just gotten away with having a guy like Mostert who like may not even um, make the team now, or if he does, it might only be like a temporary situation because of McKinnon's status. Um, but as, as a guy that if everyone's healthy there, right, is largely going to be relegated to um, special teams duty. And that's pretty much it. Um, and, and so you wonder what they could have gotten with him and, and maybe been able to divert that money elsewhere. But Regardless, in this game, it was it was very much a positive for him, and he's a guy that I think uh, deserves to be on a roster and have a role on a team, even if it doesn't end up being this one. Oh, totally agree. I think ultimately his roster status is going to be determined by whether or not McKinnon starts the season on IR, yep. which will be an interesting development. But ultimately, I thought he had, he had a great game. I mean, he's he's good at breaking through tackles. He's got great speed. He can finish runs overall. I think it was a great game from Raheem Mostert. All right, now we get to the arrow down players. Uh, I'm going to start calling this uh, the Fighting 95s in honor of Tank Carradine and Contavia Street, who seem to find themselves oh, in this yes. area or, or like arrow down adjacent. Here for it. On the reg. Uh, so <laughs> arrow down the Fighting 95s. First up, Adrian Colbert, man. That, I'm, I'd, at this point, he doesn't even make the team. Right. That's, so, so that's obviously the other player that was talking about with, with Tart there that we um, have seen flashes of positive play, right? It, it various stretches during his time with the Niners um, has not been on the field a ton. Um, and he has gone kind of the complete opposite direction where the, the flashes that we saw in some of those earlier games when he had an opportunity that were positive just haven't been there. And he's just largely been a pretty bad player when he's been. And on at the this field. point now he's got injury concerns as yep. well. Uh, and so if you can't stay on the field, you're a seventh round pick. It's one of those things where it does suck because I think, you know, obviously he's got a personality, which the 49ers media team has been, or has tried to expose because he was seen as one of like the budding superstars of the team. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, you think that he is, he's a great person. I think he should very much be, you know, if he has a role on the team, it may be on special teams while he kind of develops his, his seasoning as a safety, but I would not be surprised at all if he was cut. And I think that would be a surprise cut considering, um, you know, where he was coming into the season. Right. I think it's a name that I think would, would be a little jarring just because of, again, what I think a lot of yeah. fans expected from him and, and thought that he was kind of this ascending player um, that might be around for a while. And so in that sense, yeah, I, I agree. Like he's a guy whose roster spot is very much not assured um, and, and very well could be someone that gets cut when all of a Another player in the arrow down area, that's going to be David Mayo. Uh, he is not the right kind of Mayo. No, he's just that like basic shitty ass Mayo. Um, uh, is what you're, cause I'm, sure. I'm not really a huge I'm, mayo I'm here fan. for like the, the Chipotle gourmets, you know, just give oh, me that man. fancy shit. Um, you like the fancy man. You like aioli basically is what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, really the Chipotle stuff. Like throw that in there. We're, we're all good. Like um, from Chipotle, the restaurant no. or Chipotle, the spice, the spice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Feel yeah. You. Um, uh, yeah. Not here for that basic ass mayo. And that unfortunately is what David Mayo. Correct. Uh, very much is right now. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the thing not to like, necessarily spend a lot of time picking on a player that that was not expected to really do much of anything I, I think he's just kind of emblematic of um this team doesn't have really any linebacker depth to speak of right now they have i think two players who are um at least competent level nfl players in in uh in a warner and alexander um and beyond that things get kind of dicey and and i think mayo was just you know a guy in this game that 
Um, didn't necessarily have his best game. You know, obviously coverage is a, a main focus and what we're looking at at that position and just, um, you know, wasn't great in kind of the, 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 even just the basic cover three zone stuff that we know is going to be a part of this defense, uh, and just kind of struggling in that basic role, which, um, really makes you hesitant that he's going to be someone who could, uh, you know, be a valuable piece for you when things get more complex and, uh, and, and whatnot in the regular season. So yeah, just, just not a great game from him or I think really any of the, um, depth linebackers at this stage. All right, so arrow up, Jaquaski Tart. It's good to see him back. It's good to see him making plays. Raheem Mostert, uh, it's going to be difficult to see him not be on the 49ers because he's a quality player. You got Adrian Colbert on the Fighting 95s, arrow down, and David Mayo, uh, mostly because David likes Chipotle. Uh, so let's get to first watch, where we talk about some rookies that we were excited to see during the preseason game. Uh, and so let's stick with, with linebackers because we've yep. got two players here, both rookies, one that is more hype than the other, but both who had, you know, kind of some interesting games here against Denver. First is going to be, of course, fan favorite Dre Greenlaw. I think overall he played a better game than week one, uh, but he's certainly not setting the world on fire at this point. Um, the, the the rap on him, we, we talked a lot about his hype, I think, last week. And yep. I think it's, it's cooled down a little bit with Greenlaw. And I'd be interested to see what happens with him and the roster now that Quan Alexander, I think, is going to play against Kansas City. But the, the thing that you worry about with Greenlaw is his athleticism. He didn't, of course, test super well. And, and I think if you don't test super well, you've got to make up for that with instincts or with really, really refined technique. And I don't know that Greenlaw showed a ton of that. He did at times, uh, but it wasn't something that really dominated his game. And in what, there's one play in this game that I think was an example of that. And there was this third, down, uh, long, third and long play against Denver where the ball gets passed out to the running back and Greenlaw ends up running out there and just doesn't have the change of direction to even handle a very basic cut from that player. Um, he ends up like kind of sticking his arm out and getting turned around, and it, it just it doesn't look good. It's not the kind of play you would expect from someone who is a plus athlete in the NFL. And if he can't do that against backups in a preseason game, when he goes up against you know kind of full time starters, yeah. it's going to begin to show in more real ways. Right. It, it wasn't even that that play necessarily was like some horrendous play, right? Especially really considering wasn't. the situation, third and long. I mean, the important thing was that that he kind of forces things back, back inside. inside. He lets the rest of the defense rally there, and and they make the tackle short, right? Which is 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 exactly what happened. But it was just kind of a play that really highlighted. Uh, the concerns I think about his athleticism, like just he didn't. You watch that play. You just watch him from his position where he's sitting, you know, well back, you know, closer to the sticks, and and coming up trying to make that play in the open field against, like you said, what is a backup player. Um, and you know, who knows? I don't even honestly remember who it was. Like, who knows if it's even going to be a guy that's even on a roster, and and just very much doesn't look athletic and, and just kind of looks bad from that regard there. And so it's just concern. I think right now at this point for me, he's a guy that I wouldn't expect. Like, even if he goes out and you're going to say like, okay, we like him better and, and the potential there better than somebody like Malcolm Smith. Awesome. Um, he's going to be your starting sand linebacker. He's going to be a guy that does not play a lot, right? He, he's going to be out there in those base situations. Maybe he plays like 20% of the snaps or something like that. Um, but he, he's not, I think, a guy that you're ever going to be, at least with the way, you know, barring injury or something like that, uh, a guy 
that you're going to be comfortable with in passing situations once you get into kind of your nickel and dime stuff. Like it's always going to be Warner and Alexander are going to be the guys that you have in those situations. So I just don't think he's right now in a position to play a lot. And if one of those two main guys were to get injured and and miss a significant period of time, it would, I think, be a, a pretty big step down in the pass coverage department going to somebody like Greenlaw. Yeah. And that's not to say that Greenlaw is, you know, a terrible player that he shouldn't make the roster. I think it would be really interesting if the team kept him instead of Malcolm Smith. I don't know that that's what they will do necessarily, but I think that could be an interesting developmental play for the 49ers. I think another one could be Aziz Alshayir. This is someone who I think has impressed me more than Greenlaw, even though Greenlaw has gotten a bit more hype. And he's done very, very well in coverage. He has one forced incompletion on the tight end in the game against Denver near the end of the game. He's got two forced incompletions on the preseason. He's got four stops, which is pretty good all around. And his athleticism, of course, pops. And he's had just as as many, if not more, like really nice solid hits uh, as Greenlaw has. And and so I think that in in the battle between Greenlaw and Al-Shaeer, honestly, I probably think that Al-Shaeer has played a little better than Greenlaw so far. If it were up to me, I think both of those players uh, are rosterable. And when you look at, you know, Quan Alexander, you look at Fred Warner, it could easily be Greenlaw and Al Shear instead of Malcolm Smith and like, you know, Elijah Lee or Mark yeah. Nazocha or something like that. Because I don't know that Nazocha or Lee or even Malcolm Smith um, are going to necessarily give you the upside that these two players give you. I don't know that that's what the team will ultimately do. But I might lean that way, and especially I'd give the nod to someone like Al Shear. Right. I, it, yeah, it comes down to, like, I don't know that I'm confident in any of those guys outside of the top two linebackers and being, like, consistent, reliable players, especially in coverage. But um, it, at the very least in this preseason so far, Al Shear is the guy that is absolutely, to me, shown the most from a coverage standpoint and just, like, looks a better out there, right? He just moves better. He, he covers more ground. He's clearly a, a, a better like athlete than somebody like Greenlaw. Um, and is just like overall looked really solid from a coverage perspective. And so again, whether that translates to regular season against, you know, ones and all that stuff uh, is, is another question, but just based on these games, he's the one I think has shown the most promise in that regard. Yeah, he doesn't play nearly as big as Greenlaw, and, and you yeah. know for what that's worth. But it, it's and that's something definitely to monitor because that means, um, you know, that means going up against offensive linemen in the NFL is a rough business. And if he keeps trying to duck blocks, I think that becomes problematic. But um, I think they're definitely it's definitely something to watch. Um, and uh, I'd be interested to see what happens. I think the team's probably going to try to sneak Alshier on the practice squad. That's, yeah, that's I mean, that it probably makes sense. Yeah. probably seems like the most logical. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, I think where they're drafted or not drafted speaks to a bit what totally. the team is willing to do with them. Yep. So uh, the other two players here in first watch is going to be Tim Harris. Uh, Tim Harris thought had a pretty decent game. He was uh, a quick corner uh, draft pick for the 49ers. He was all over anything vertical um, and in the red zone earned one of those very well-deserved incomplete signs, which DBs <laughs> love to throw out. They don't always when, deserve them. Even when they don't do anything. <laughs> When they do nothing, that's like incomplete, hands in the air. No Hell problem. yeah, let's do it, celebrate. Um, Tim Harris, I mean, he was a guy, as far as late round picks go, um, I think the one that we were certainly most interested in and, and thought 
um, showed some promise, you know, as, as a corner that fits kind of more of the prototypical stuff that they're looking for um, and have looked for in the past in this system. And so, yeah, I think it was just overall, he wasn't really targeted all that much. Um, the one time he was targeted made, uh, you know, a pretty solid play. Um, but yeah, I think you see him when you, even when you watch him just kind of off ball stuff, um, he, he's just generally looking pretty solid right now. I think he's kind of improved in this game compared the, the first game. I, I definitely didn't think he was like terrible. He didn't have a lot of plays where he just like, Oh man, just got roasted on that one. Um, but he was just kind of like consistently like a beat off, right? Like just a step behind the receiver on the route that was thrown. And that was enough for, uh, a, a completion. I think he was a little bit better in that regard. It was a little bit tighter to his receivers. And like you mentioned, especially on the vertical route stuff, I think that's where he's strongest. I think that's what he showed a lot in college, you know, and that's what is, is a big part of playing cornerback in this system. You know, you want guys that can take away the vertical routes on the outside there. Um, and, and so I think so far, yeah, he's been for a sixth round pick, uh, fairly solid through two games. All right, last up here is going to be Justin School. He's nominated for the Pete Campbell Award. That's, of course, the award that goes to the not-great-Bob player of the game. Pete Campbell, character Mad Men. Eh, know your memes, folks. Know your memes. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, School is uh, He raw. was, uh, would you say, taken to school so uh, far? Yes, he was. Preseason? He was. We've got mail jokes. We've got school jokes. Yeah. Uh, it was just out there. Yeah, he, yeah he is, he's, he's practice squad material at this point. Like, I, I would be, I mean, even with the defensive or the offensive line depth, I'd be surprised if he makes the team. Yeah, I mean, it's like, look, an unfortunate, but I think it, it highlights, you know, where he's at relative to, like, what he would have to go against in a real game, right? Like, you immediately look when, when you see, okay, Jimmy's out, that means the back, the tackles are also out, so we got backup tackles in there, and like, oh, shit, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb are still out there. Yeah. Um, this Did not is not going to well. end well, right? Nope. You can see that coming a mile away. But with somebody like, you know, school who if you're expecting him to be the swing tackle and potentially fill in in meaningful game action for one of the tackles, should they go down? This was a, a, a just a tiny glimpse into what that would look like. And it wasn't great. Yeah, it was, no, it it was, was not something that you want. to. It's not great, Bob. Not great. But you know what was great? Your punter making a tackle on special teams. And that's going to round out yeah. the first watch segment here. It's, it's called the wish upon a star uh, part of the show here, David. Now with thinner air, because, you know, now that, that made him punt even farther into the end zone. I've already said everything that I need to say <laughs> at the top of the show. You're, but I got David, else to but David yeah. he's a punter, sure, and he, and he made a tackle, and it was a good tackle. And so that automatically confirms his fourth-round draft pick stat. Like, duh. I, how are we I, even fucking questioning this? I don't, know, I don't know he made a tackle how you define game. your draft board clearly incorrectly. Uh, because the correct version of this uh, of this story is that we're exalting this punter from Australia who's 27 and knocked the shit out of someone who was five seven. Uh, it's you know, this is what so you do. My size. Yeah, he's you flex uh, on him. You flex. And you're like, I'm a punter, but you're gonna remember me. Yeah, sure. Do it. Have uh, fun, man. Yeah, yeah it, was fun a, it was a fun play. Uh, he may have had a better game as a tackler than he did as a punter. Yeah, uh, has been. Um solidly firmly mediocre i love it uh, i don't as care a, as a punter i'm here for the ozzy 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 oi 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 chance uh i'm gonna do all those whenever i can uh we're gonna cheer for all the punts it's gonna be great yeah cheer cheer for all the punts man yeah. glad the offense isn't still out there hey, man let's the, get that fucking punt around uh that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna return this to the basketball uh mullen stand uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna find a way to make him stand for punters 
Uh, this is this is going to be where we bond. It will be. Godspeed. All right, let's get to the final segment of the show. That's going to be the rundown. Uh, just a couple of brief notes here. Jarek McKinnon still not practicing. Uh, what would you say are the odds that he opens the season on injured reserve? A hundred. Wow, pretty good. I mean, it's high. Yeah, now, it's, it's the mechanics right. of injured reserve here are pretty interesting because in order to uh, be on injured reserve at the start of the season and be eligible to return, he has to first make the team, yeah. then get put on injured reserve. So some, so it, you, you can't like have a running back like Raheem Mostert make it with him. You can't have like 54 players make it, but oh, he's going to be on injured reserve. You have to get down to 53 and that includes Jarek McKinnon. Yep. And that means you have to cut everyone else and then move him to IR and then re-sign someone else. So you're still exposing everyone else that and, you might want to keep in that spot. And there's like also another, like he has to start practicing soon. There's some like 18 day window. I honestly don't really... No, I saw it mentioned. Shannon yeah. talked about it in his in his presser. Like, I don't know something. They, they, he has to like start seeing time. They have to like whatever designation he's got now. I think he needs to be moved off that so that he can then, like you said, make the fifty three and be on the active fifty three and then get moved to IR so that he's eligible to return. Um, I mean, whatever. It's all very confusing. I think ultimately uh, we're just not going to see. Jarek McKinnon for maybe the first half of the season. Yeah, I think that's probably a good bet. Um, the the reserve Shanahan had some interesting notes about how he's going to structure his receiving core. I don't think this is necessarily news if you've been paying attention, but it's always good to hear it from Shanahan's mouth. He talked about the construction of his receiver core. He says that you want four receivers, which are going to be your primary receivers on game day, and then your primary special teamer. That's going to be the five players that you suit up on game day. And then you have one reserve, and that one reserve isn't another special teamer. That one reserve is a player that you think is basically your developmental wide receiver who can come in and play if one of the other four gets injured. Yeah. Uh, so something to keep note of if you say, I don't know, like Richie James and want him to be on the team because that seems like the special teamer of the group. Uh, and then you've got all the other four, and then maybe you've got yeah. your development. I mean, I think who am I for So I think right now, the ones that we know, the four, I think we can be pretty certain of. And, and it may get mixed up depending on Trent Taylor's status, but if we for a moment assume health, I think the four for sure are Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, Trent Taylor, Jalen Hurd. That's your four. Five, I think you can make a case as a special teamer for Richie James, right, in, in that spot. And then I think that leaves you with your final spot between Bourne and Matthews. Um, and I, to me, that's how it makes most sense. Did you say um, Goodwin? Oh, shit. I did. For, I forgot completely yeah. about Goodwin. Because that to me, I think. Yeah, that's is, tough. Um, that, that, and that to me is where you get down to, to basically Jalen Hurd kind of having the last spot. Because if you think of the four, the four that are going to get the most snaps, I think are going to be Dante Pettis, uh, Marquise Goodwin, and Debo Samuel. And then you've got your fourth, which is going to be Trent Taylor, right? The, the special team is Richard James. And your developmental one may be Jalen Hurd. And then depending on matchups or whatever, sometimes you have Jalen Hurd play. Sometimes maybe you sit someone else. Um, but ultimately, I, I feel like Hurd is that fifth one. And that means that Bourne and Matthews are both on the outside looking in if we presume health. I think yeah. understanding that, that Trent Taylor may not be ready for week one then I think that changes things a little bit. But, but actually, I guess from a roster standpoint, it, it won't really, right? So like his his question mark is like, is he ready for week one, right? But it's right. not, it doesn't seem to be a thing that's concerning like long-term, right? They're not considering like McKinnon yeah. an IR situation. So he's going to have to be on the 53 
he just for like maybe the first week or two, say at worst, will be one of the inactive players. But he'll yeah. be he'll have to be on the fifty three. So he still is one of those top four from like a yeah. roster construction standpoint. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting. And I honestly, guess with, based with, based uh, on what I've seen so far, that that construction makes a ton of sense. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think I Bourne at this point has had two years to break through a wide receiving core that has been very thin at times. Yeah. And he hasn't done it. And when you think about inconsistency, I mean, he's the, he's the, the paragon of inconsistency this off, this preseason where, you know, he's making some pretty good catches and he's showing some running after the catch ability. And then he's dropping dimes that hit him, you know, basically in the breadbasket. And so I think ultimately that's that's kind of where you end Just up with Kendrick ruined Bourne. like one of the rare good CJ Beathard throws. Uh, yeah, it I was mean, uh, ruined it. It's okay, but he had some yeah. some yards after the catch later. He he quasi made up for it. Sure, not but not really. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. We've got one more with one Mr. David Newman before we uh, before he goes off into that good night and we come on with another co-host and maybe some guests as we get through into the regular season, but. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Awesome. Well, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.